Chapter twenty six, part two of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anchor. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter twenty six, part two. Virginia. Mrs. Ormond, the lady whom he had engaged to take care of his Virginia, was a widow the mother of a gentleman who had been his tutor at college. Her son died, and left her in such narrow circumstances that she was obliged to apply to her friends for pecuniary assistance. Mr. Hervey had been liberal in his contributions. From his childhood he had known her worth, and her attachment to him was blended with the most profound respect. She was not a woman of superior abilities, or of much information, but her excellent temper and gentle disposition won affection, though she had not any talents to excite admiration. Mr. Hervey had perfect confidence in her integrity. He believed that she would exactly comply with his directions, and he thought that her want of literature and ingenuity could easily be supplied by his own care and instructions. He took a house for her and his fair pupil at Windsor, and he exacted a solemn promise that she would neither receive nor pay any visits. Virginia was thus secluded from all intercourse with the world. She saw no one but Mrs. Ormond, Clarence Hervey, and Mr. Moreton, an elderly clergyman, whom Mr. Hervey engaged to attend every Sunday to read prayers for them at home. Virginia never expressed the slightest curiosity to see any other persons or anything beyond the walls of the garden that belonged to the house in which she lived. Her present retirement was not greater than that to which she had long been accustomed, and consequently she did not feel her seclusion from the world as any restraint. With the circumstances that were altered in her situation she seemed neither to be dazzled nor charmed. The objects of convenience or luxury that were new to her she looked upon with indifference, but with anything that reminded her of a former way of life and of her grandmother's cottage she was delighted. One day Mr. Hervey asked her whether she should like better to return to that cottage or to remain where she was. He trembled for her answer. She innocently replied, "'I should like best to go back to the cottage if you would go with me.' but I would rather stay here with you than live there without you." Clarence was touched and flattered by this artless answer, and for some time he discovered every day fresh indications, as he thought, of virtue and abilities in his charming pupil. Her indifference to objects of show and ornament appeared to him an indisputable proof of her magnanimity and of the superiority of her unprejudiced mind. What a difference, thought he, between this child of nature and the frivolous, sophisticated slaves of art! To try and prove the simplicity of her taste and the purity of her mind, he once presented to her a pair of diamond earrings and a moss rosebud, and asked her to take whichever she liked best. She eagerly snatched the rose, crying, "'Oh, it puts me in mind of the cottage! How sweet it smells!' She placed it in her bosom, and then, looking at the diamonds, said, they are pretty sparkling things what are they of what use are they and she looked with more curiosity and admiration at the manner in which the earrings shut and opened than at the diamonds clarence was charmed with her when mrs ormond told her that these things were to hang in her ears she laughed and said how how can i make them hang have you never observed that i wear earrings said mrs ormond ay but yours are not like these and let me look i never saw how you fastened them let me look oh you have holes in your ears but i have none in mine 
Mrs. Ormond told her that holes could easily be made in her ears by running a steel pin through them. She shrunk back, defending her ear with one hand, and pushing the diamonds from her with the other, exclaiming, "'Oh, no, no, unless,' added she, changing her tone, and turning to Clarence, "'unless you wish it, if you bid me, I will.' Clarence was scarcely master of himself at this instant, and it was with the utmost difficulty that he could reply to her with that dispassionate calmness which became his situation and hers." and yet there was more of ignorance and timidity perhaps than of sound sense or philosophy in virginia's indifference to diamonds she did not consider them as ornaments that would confer distinction upon their possessor because she was ignorant of the value affixed to them by society isolated in the world she had no excitements to the love of finery no competition no means of comparison or opportunities of display Diamonds were consequently as useless to her as guineas were to Robinson Crusoe on his desert island. It could not justly be said that he was free from avarice because he set no value on the gold, or that she was free from vanity because she rejected the diamonds. These reflections could not possibly have escaped a man of Clarence Hervey's abilities had he not been engaged in defence of a favourite system of education, or if his pupil had not been quite so handsome. Virginia's absolute ignorance of the world frequently gave an air of originality to her most trivial observations, which made her appear at once interesting and entertaining. All her ideas of happiness were confined to the life she had led during her childhood, and as she had accidentally lived in a beautiful situation in the New Forest, she appeared to have an instinctive taste for the beauties of nature, and for what we call the picturesque. This taste Mr. Hervey perceived whenever he showed her prints and drawings, and it was a fresh source of delight and self-complacency to him. All that was amiable or estimable in Virginia had a double charm, from the secret sense of his penetration, in having discovered and appreciated the treasure. The affections of this innocent girl had no object but himself and Mrs. Ormond, and they were strong, perhaps, in proportion as they were concentrated. The artless familiarity of her manner, and her unsuspicious confidence, amounting almost to credulity, had irresistible power over Mr. Hervey's mind. He felt them as appeals at once to his tenderness and his generosity. He treated her with the utmost delicacy, and his oath was never absent from his mind, but he felt proudly convinced that if he had not been bound by any such solemn engagement, no temptation could have made him deceive and betray confiding innocence. Conscious that his views were honourable, anticipating the generous pleasure he should have in showing his superiority to all mercenary considerations and worldly prejudices in the choice of a wife, he indulged, with a species of pride, his increasing attachment to Virginia but he was not sensible of the rapid progress of the passion till he was suddenly awakened by a few simple observations of mrs ormond this is virginia's birthday she tells me she is seventeen to-day seventeen she is only seventeen cried clarence with a mixture of surprise and disappointment in his countenance only seventeen why she is but a child still quite a child said mrs ormond and so much the better so much the worse i think said clarence but are you sure she is only seventeen she, she must be mistaken she must be eighteen at least god forbid god forbid why mrs ormond because you know we have a year more before us that may be a very satisfactory prospect to you said mr hervey smiling 
and to you, surely, said Mrs. Ormond, for, I suppose, you would be glad that your wife should, at least, know the common things that everybody knows. As to that, said Clarence, I should be glad that my wife were ignorant of what everybody knows. Nothing is so tiresome to a man of any taste or abilities as what everybody knows. I am rather desirous to have a wife who has an uncommon than a common understanding. But you would choose, would you not, said Mrs. Ormond, hesitating with an air of great deference, that your wife should know how to write. To be sure, replied Clarence, colouring, does not Virginia know how to write? How should she? said Mrs. Ormond. It is no fault of hers, poor girl. She was never taught. You know it was her grandmother's notion that she should not learn to write, lest she should write love-letters. But you promised that she should be taught to write, and I trusted to you, Mrs. Ormond. She has been here only two months, and all that time, I am sure, I have done everything in my power. But when a person comes to be sixteen or seventeen, it is uphill work. I will teach her myself, cried Clarence. I am sure she may be taught anything. By you, said Mrs. Ormond, smiling, but not by me. You have no doubts of her capacity, surely. I am no judge of capacity, especially of the capacity of those I love, and I am grown very fond of Virginia. She is a charming, open-hearted, simple, affectionate creature. I rather think it is from indolence that she does not learn, and not from want of abilities. All indolence arises from want of excitement, said Clarence. If she had proper motives, she would conquer her indolence. Why, I dare say, if I were to tell her that she would never have a letter from Mr. Hervey till she is able to write an answer, she would learn to write very expeditiously, but I thought that would not be a proper motive, because you forbade me to tell her your future views, and indeed it would be highly imprudent on your account as well as hers to give her any hint of that kind, because you might change your mind before she is old enough for you to think of her seriously and then you would not know what to do with her, and after entertaining hopes of becoming your wife, she would be miserable, I am sure, with that affectionate, tender heart of hers, if you were to leave her. Now that she knows nothing of the matter, we are all safe, and as we should be. Though Clarence Hervey did not at this time foresee any great probability of his changing his mind, yet he felt the good sense and justice of Mrs. Ormond's suggestions, and he was alarmed to perceive that his mind had been so intoxicated as to suffer such obvious reflections to escape his attention. Mrs. Ormond, a woman whom he had been accustomed to consider as far his inferior in capacity, he now felt was superior to him in prudence, merely because she was undisturbed by passion. He resolved to master his own mind, to consider that it was not a mistress but a wife he wanted in Virginia, that a wife without capacity or without literature could never be a companion suited to him, let her beauty or sensibility be ever so exquisite and captivating. The happiness of his life and of hers were at stake, and every motive of prudence and delicacy called upon him to command his affections. He was, however, still sanguine in his expectations from Virginia's understanding, and from his own power of developing her capacity. He made several attempts, with the greatest skill and patience, and his fair pupil, though she did not by any means equal his hopes, astonished Mrs. Ormond by a comparatively rapid progress. "'I always believed that you could make her do anything you pleased,' said she. "'You are a tutor who can work miracles with Virginia.' I see no miracles, replied Clarence. I am conscious of no such power. I should be sorry to possess any such influence, until I am sure that it would be for our mutual happiness. 
Mr. Hervey then conjured Mrs. Ormond, by all her attachment to him and to her pupil, never to give Virginia the most distant idea that he had any intentions of making her his wife. She promised to do all that was in her power to keep this secret, but she could not help observing that it had already been betrayed, as plainly as looks could speak, by Mr. Hervey himself. Clarence in vain endeavoured to exculpate himself from this charge. Mrs. Ormond brought to his recollection so many instances of his indiscretion, that it was substantiated even in his own judgment, and he was amazed to find that all the time he had put so much constraint upon his inclinations, he had nevertheless so obviously betrayed them. His surprise, however, was at this time unmixed with any painful regret. He did not foresee the probability that he should change his mind, and notwithstanding Mrs. Ormond assured him that Virginia's sensibility had increased, he was persuaded that she was mistaken, and that his pupil's heart and imagination were yet untouched. The innocent openness with which she expressed her affection for him confirmed him, he said, in his opinion. To do him justice, Clarence had none of the presumption which too often characterizes men who have been successful, as it is called, with the fair sex. His acquaintance with women had increased his persuasion that it is difficult to excite genuine love in the heart, and with respect to himself, he was upon this subject astonishingly incredulous. It was scarcely possible to convince him that he was beloved. Mrs. Ormond, piqued upon this subject, determined to ascertain more decisively her pupil's sentiments. "'My dear,' said she, one day to Virginia, who was feeding her bullfinch, "'I do believe you are fonder of that bird than of anything in the world. "'Fonder of it, I am sure, than of me.' "'Oh, you cannot think so,' said Virginia, with an affectionate smile. "'Well, fonder than you are of Mr. Hervey, you will allow at least.' "'No, indeed,' cried she, eagerly. "'How can you think me so foolish, so childish, so ungrateful, "'as to prefer a little worthless bird to him?' The bullfinch began to sing so loud at this instant that her enthusiastic speech was stopped. "'My pretty bird,' said she, as it perched upon her hand, "'I love you very much. But if Mr. Hervey were to ask it, to wish it, I would open that window and let you fly, yes, and bid you fly away far from me for ever. Perhaps he does wish it, does he?' "'Did he tell you so?' cried she, looking earnestly in Mrs. Ormond's face, as she moved towards the window." Mrs. Ormond put her hand upon the sash, as Virginia was going to throw it up. "'Gently, gently, my love, whither is your imagination carrying you?' "'I thought something by your look,' said Virginia, blushing. "'And I thought something, my dear Virginia,' said Mrs. Ormond, smiling. "'What did you think? What could you think?' "'I cannot, I mean, I would rather not at present tell you. But do not look so grave. I will tell you some time or other.' if you cannot guess. Virginia was silent and stood abashed. I am sure, my sweet girl, said Mrs. Ormond, I do not mean by anything I said to confuse or blame you. It is very natural that you should be grateful to Mr. Hervey, and that you should admire, and, to a certain degree, love him. Virginia looked up, delighted, yet with some hesitation in her manner. He is indeed, said Mrs. Ormond, one of the first human beings. Such even I have always thought him. And I am sure I like you the better, my dear, for your sensibility, said she, kissing Virginia as she spoke. Only we must take care of it, or this tenderness might go too far. How so? said Virginia, returning her caresses with fondness. Can I love you and Mr. Hervey too much? Not me. 
nor him i'm sure he is so good so very good i am afraid that i do not love him enough said she sighing i love him enough when he is absent but not when he is present when he is near i feel a sort of fear mixed with my love i wish to please him very much but i should not quite like that he should show his love for me as you do as you did just now my dear it would not be proper that he should you are quite right not to wish it am i i was afraid that it was the sign of my not liking him as much as i ought ah my poor child you love him full as much as you ought do you think so i am glad of it said virginia with a look of such confiding simplicity that her friend was touched to the heart i do think so my love said mrs ormond and i hope i shall never be sorry for it nor you either but it is not proper that we should say any more upon this subject now where are your drawings where is your writing my dear we must get forward with these things as fast as we can that is the way to please mr hervey i can tell you confirmed by this conversation in her own opinion mrs ormond was satisfied from delicacy to her pupil she did not repeat all that had passed to mr hervey resolving to wait till the proper moment she is too young and too childish for him to think of marrying her yet for a year or two thought she and it is better to repress her sensibility till her education is more finished by that time mr hervey will find out his mistake in the meantime she could not help thinking that he was blind for he continued steady in his belief of virginia's indifference to dissipate his own mind and to give time for the development of hers he now according to his resolution left his pupil to the care of mrs ormond and mixed as much as possible in gay and fashionable company it was at this period that he renewed his acquaintance with lady delacour whom he had seen and admired before he went abroad he found that his gallantry on the famous day of the battle between the turkeys and pigs was still remembered with gratitude by her ladyship she received him with marked courtesy and he soon became a constant visitor at her house her wit entertained her eloquence charmed him and he followed admired and gallanted her without scruple for he considered her merely as a coquette who preferred the glory of conquest to the security of reputation with such a woman he thought he could amuse himself without danger and he everywhere appeared the foremost in the public train of her ladyship's admirers he soon discovered however that her talents were far superior to what are necessary for playing the part of a fine lady his visits became more and more agreeable to him and he was glad to feel that by dividing his attention his passion for virginia insensibly diminished or as he said to himself became more reasonable in conversing with lady delacour his faculties were always called into full play in talking to virginia his understanding was passive he perceived that a large proportion of his intellectual powers and of his knowledge was absolutely useless to him in her company and this did not raise her either in his love or esteem her simplicity and naivete however sometimes relieved him after he had been fatigued by the extravagant gaiety and glare of her ladyship's manners and he reflected that the coquetry which amused him in an acquaintance would be odious in a wife the perfect innocence of virginia promised security to his domestic happiness and he did not change his views though he was less eager for the period of their accomplishment 
i cannot expect everything that is desirable said he to himself a more brilliant character than virginia's would excite my admiration but could not command my confidence it was whilst his mind was in this situation that he became acquainted with belinda at first the idea of her having been educated by the matchmaking mrs stanhope prejudiced him against her but as he had opportunities of observing her conduct this prepossession was conquered and when she had secured his esteem he could no longer resist her power over his heart in comparison with belinda virginia appeared to him but an insipid though innocent child the one he found was his equal the other his inferior the one he saw could be a companion a friend to him for life the other would merely be his pupil or his plaything belinda had cultivated taste an active understanding a knowledge of literature the power and the habit of conducting herself virginia was ignorant and indolent she had few ideas and no wish to extend her knowledge she was so entirely unacquainted with the world that it was absolutely impossible that she could conduct herself with that discretion which must be the combined result of reasoning and experience mr hervey had felt gratuitous confidence in virginia's innocence but on belinda's prudence which he had opportunities of seeing tried he gradually learned to feel a different and a higher species of reliance which it is neither in our power to bestow nor to refuse the virtues of virginia sprang from sentiment those of belinda from reason End of part two of chapter twenty six